Well, this morning we're going to read, we're going to read from um, a few different places. We're going to start in Luke, Luke the fourth chapter. Luke the fourth chapter is, is, a, is, quite, is quite interesting to understand. Uh, let's look at uh, 4, verse 16, uh, Luke 4, verse 16, where it says, in, in it, And he came to Nazareth. Nazareth, again, was the place where he was brought up. Again, that was a very poor area, a very slum area. It was basically what it was, one of the poorest areas in all of Israel. That's where our Lord and Savior was brought up. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom, as his usual way of doing things, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this again is bringing on Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, specifically 3 and then into 4. Verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In the, in, the, in the fullest way, we know, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, those that have been blind and hardened, and to, to set at liberty, freedom, them which are bruised, it says, to preach the acceptable year. The, what he left out here is what it was included when it was given in prophecy, where it says in Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, where it says, and also, it says also there uh, to the rebellious, that's brought out. But of course, we see here it's not included. Why? Because in verse 19, he said, to preach the acceptable year the acceptable time, that specific time when he was preaching the word of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the ministers and sat down. And this is a type of him revealing to all of those the work that he and his person had accomplished. So he sat down and the eyes of all, this is amazing when we think about it, the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were listening intently and concentrating on his person. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bore him witness. They were all a testimony of this and were in awe, incredible awe and reverence at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then it says, and they said, is not this Joseph's son. So again, there were those that did receive it so beautifully, the word, and then those that did receive it, uh, and those that didn't just saw him as Joseph's son. They didn't care too much for his person, even though the words that were coming out of him were unmistakable. So there had to be an unmistakable rejection of him. Now, we go all the way to verse 40 and Luke, the fourth chapter, and this is what it says. Now, when the sun was setting, it's beginning to go down. The sun is beginning to set. This is what it says. All they that had any sick with many kinds of diseases, all kinds of diseases, brought them unto him. 
And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now again, of course, it says in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their destructions. I love this uh, little note that I had put in one of these Bibles that I have. And the thought that God would have each of us and the privilege that we have as believer priests and a believer priest, that's our place in Christ. We're a believer priest, meaning we can go into him in his presence and experience his presence. But we don't just go there for ourselves. We have the privilege to go there for others. We still have, we have that privilege right now. And so we're to still bring them to him in prayer because he still desires to heal them and he still has the same power to do so. Verse 41, it says in Luke, the fourth chapter, and, and demons also came out of many crying and saying, you are Christ, the son of God. Isn't it interesting? That's why it says in James 2 and verse 19, even the demons believe and they tremble. If only we would believe to that point. Of course, they believe, but they can't do anything about it. They're fixed in terms of their evil, in terms of that angelic conflict. So he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, allowed them what? He allowed them not to say that they knew that he was the Christ. For they knew he was. And there wasn't any mistake about it. Now, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed with him. And they did not want him to depart from them. Neither do we, right? When we get in his presence, we experience his love and his joy in, in that sense. And of course, he never will in Hebrews 13, 5 and in Joshua 1, 5. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't fail us, never does. And he never leaves us. And verse 43, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God, his rulership, his reigning, to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. I am the sent one. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Here we are in chapter 5, verse 1. And here it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, multitudes of crowds were pressing on him, literally, to the point of him suffocating. They were pressing on him. And what? And they pressed upon him. But here, listen to what it says, to hear the word of God. They were pressing upon him to hear the word of the word of God. And he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he had to, obviously. <laughs> so he could have a little space so that he could preach the word that they so diligently, many walked miles, miles, walked miles to come and hear the word. Then he, it says, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, Peter, and beseeched him that he would push it out a little from the land, and he sat down. Again, he's, he's seating. See, everything he says, everything he says to us now, everything he says to us is from a finished point vantage. It's finished. And he's speaking to us everything that he's already finished about us. And uh, 
an amazing truth to understand. So he sat down. He, he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So he teaches us from a finished work viewpoint, you see. And now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let your, net, your nets down for a draft, a, a, a huge amount of fish. And Simon answered and said unto him, teacher, master, Rabbinine, we have toiled all night. We've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, a lot of times we get into uh, things and we get into them where we forget him and then we do them. And it's in the night here speaks of his absence, his absence, meaning experientially he's not involved in what we choose to do without him. But he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Never. He never does that. He's always in Isaiah 30 and verse 18, waiting to be gracious. And this is the beauty of the thorns in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 that he gives to us, these thorns. And these are the sharp areas. <laughs> and the word comes in and it begins to pierce us and pierces an area where he's absent experientially. And we can either resist it, flee from it, or we can submit to it. And so he said, let it down. And he said, of course, Master, we have toiled all night, meaning we know what we're doing. We're fishermen. This is all we've ever done. And we know where they are. We know where they are. And it, but we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net broke. Everything in the word of God has a, a perfect place, a, a very, very perfect place, because you're going to see here, just as a little side note, where it says here, the net broke. The net here broke because it's teaching in kingdom, in kingdom teaching, millennial reign, okay? Okay, N the net will break. Some will be kept, others won't be. Others will not be. But what Christ did for his church, and this is what he brings out in John, the 20th chapter, the net didn't break. And what we rely on in the person of Christ and on the person of Christ and the work that he's accomplished, the net never breaks. We don't lose anything. Never does. And that's John, the 20th chapter. Here, it's kingdom, but he's teaching the difference. You see, when Christ finished the work for the church, for you and I, it will never break. He'll never lose any. This is John 6, 37 and 39. This is John 10, 28 and 29. And when we submit and hear the shepherd's voice experientially in John 10 and verse 27, you see, we don't lose anything. We do not lose a single thing. We don't. Here, though, the net broke. The net broke, and it says, and they beckoned, they beseeched their partners, which were in the other ship. This is James and John, because they were all partners in this fishing business, Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John. They were in the other ship that they should come and help, and they came and filled both ships, so they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me. <laughs> depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Oh, thank God for the word this morning. You know, James 4 and verse 8 says, draw near to God, 
and here will be the result, and he will draw near to you. Then when we draw near, and Peter was not understanding this yet, and neither do we when we forget God, and he, we don't experience his love, James 4 says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Lordship salvation, covenant theology, all these other things that don't have to do anything to do, I should say, with the finished work of Christ. Reverse the order. Draw near to God, then he'll draw near to you. It never says that. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands, you sinners. Then you purify your hearts from being double-minded, mixing our thoughts, doing things our way, making our own plans, doing all things that we think we should do and what motivates us to even do it. Is it experiencing his love for us in whatever we do, whoever we're with, whatever plans that we make, with whatever people it is, is it truly to give them the gospel? Is it truly to minister them the things of Christ? Or are we just with them to have a good time? Well, when we do it and we know that we're sent, and it's very important, honestly, it is so important to know when we're supposed to be with people. Because there will be a there will be a sent one, but there will be involved the purpose of God, the purpose of Christ through the Holy Spirit to minister Christ to them, to minister to them, and that would be the reason that we would be with them. But we would have perfect peace, and that perfect peace would keep out any of the world uh, tempting us. That's why we have to be careful and know that we're to be with certain ones when God sends us to them, because otherwise, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, it says evil com companions. It, mean, it, can mean that it can be the nicest person. You may think they're the nicest people in the world. They're nice, but they're unsaved. They're nice. And so that you might have some enjoyment with them. How could that be? could never be. It could never be that way because it says evil companions, and that means just functioning under evil. Because if they don't have Christ, what are, who are they functioning under? They're functioning under the evil one. Evil companions corrupt good manners. That's what it says. That's, what, that's why we have to be so careful, you see, because sin, sin is greater than our unsubmitted will. And this goes into how important it is. That goes into Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 21. I know to do good, but how to perform it, I find not. And you're not going to find it by going with others unless you know for a fact that you're sent to them. You will have Christ in you so much. But also, too, in measure, he will have those ones prepared. Evil communications, it says in the King James, his companions corrupt good manners. Meaning they will win us over if we are not sent by God and protected by him from the enemy and from the world system from entering into our flesh and causing us to have a false oneness with those that we're with and we're having a good time. No such thing for the Christian in all the scriptures. Again, it says here as we read on, he said, depart from me, 
for I am a sinful man. Well, what should sinful people do? Run from God or run to him? Now, again, he never gives us grace to live in continual sin in Romans 6, 1 and 15. And then to know to do good and, and not do it, resist it, reject it. And then we live in sin in James 4 and verse 17. And we know that sin itself is evil. There's no difference between weak, calling weakness sin. Weakness does not sin. It's the potential to without a submission of the will. We need to know that because there were certain teachings on that that were not correct. Okay? God never, ever, ever allows us to use a lie to function in truth. Never. No such thing in all the scriptures. So again, that would never happen because we know in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't lie. Hebrews 6, 18, Titus 1, 2, it's impossible for God to lie. That's speaking about Christ. That's speaking about him in his impeccable human nature. Impeccable human nature means that he was not liable to sin. You see, Jesus was never tempted to sin. It's not that he could have and didn't. He never could have sinned. Now, we can very, very easily, depending upon who we're with and the reason why we're with them, if it's not Christ and we are not sent, the greatest thing that we can do for ourselves and for them is to continue in the work of God in us and allow God to continue in the work in them and not to meet them where they're at without any conviction so that, so that we almost, without saying anything, agree with the lifestyle that they're living in, and it's okay. And this is where, obviously, for any of us, for any of us, sin is not okay. So again, it says this. He said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. We know that in James 4, 8, we're to draw nigh to God. He draws near to us. Then we cleanse our hands, doing things that we shouldn't have done because <laughs> we haven't submitted. We haven't submitted. There's no separation from the spirit and soul in Hebrews 4.12. And the prayer of the Holy Spirit was that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless again. And it says here again that uh, he said he was astonished. He was, he was overwhelmed. And all that were with him at the amount of fish that they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, and he says unto us, and he says it this morning, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Because from henceforth, you will catch men. You see, we're here. We're here for God to work in us. His desired love and intimacy for us and in exchange love life so that nothing can disturb or distract that, then that flows out so that we can be what? Catchers of men, that he can use us to catch men. Not to, be, not to make them comfortable in their worldly pursuits or where they're at. Never to do that, never. But again, in convicting love, in a convicting love and a purity, so that they can see there's a great difference in you not in terms of condemning and accusing them any more than we were in Romans 8.1, condemned or guilty, no, but to show that the God puts a difference between his people and those that aren't, but that it could be that. 
But how would they know? How would they know unless we minister the loving conviction of Christ to them? How would they know? Then it's just going to be okay for them to be the way they are because they're nice people. Nice is not in the Bible. There's no such thing. They're nice people and they're okay to be with. Why are we with them? Why are we with them? And this is very key. Now, here we'll just wrap this up this morning. We see this very clearly. Now, what do we see again in Luke 5th chapter and verse 1? It says the crowds begin to gather. Multitudes are gathering. And they're bringing those sick with all kinds of diseases. And this is what it says. And the power of God is manifested in healing them without exception. There's no exception. There's no exception. We see. Why? Because is anything too hard for God? In Genesis 18 and verse 14, is anything too hard for him? In Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, is anything too hard for him? Absolutely not. Is anything too hard or beyond his thought? In Job 42 and verse 2, no. With man, in Matthew 19, 26, in Mark 10, verse 27, in Luke 1 and verse 37, and in Luke 18 and verse 27, is with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are what? All things are possible. They're possible. All of them. Every single one. And so we see here then this, that there is love. That love was the equal of the power that was displayed to heal them. And they could see this. They could see it. And so here we see this, the mo- very important, that this, that the people... And he has to make us content. This is what he has to do with us. And if we're not content, 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness, being like him, with contentment is great gain. He's our pure confidence in Hebrews 10, 34, 35, and 36. And we don't cast it away. We don't, you see. And so it says here again, here, that To be content, he has to make us content with what? To seek him, to constantly seek him. And they did, but in, in seeking him, they wanted to keep him, to prevent him from leaving. But you know, it's not enough for him. It's not enough for him, for those to seek him. You know, it's not enough for God. For us to seek him. That's not enough. He desires it, but it's not enough. No, what's more important? That he must be the seeker. That's what James 4 verse 8 says. Draw near to God. The only reason we come to him is because in Matthew 11 and verse 27, in John 6 and verse 44, and in John 6 and verse 65, no man knows the Son but the Father. And no man knows the Father but the Son, and to him, to whoever he would give, to those that would seek him. But we must seek him. He must be the seeker and seek everywhere, and he does. The sheep that are astray from their shepherd. From their shepherd. And so he's bringing this out here in in an amazing way. So Peter here, Peter, 
in Luke, the fifth chapter here, we see in those first 10 verses, Peter is a soul that is brought into the presence of God. It is the presence of God, his very love that seeks us. He seeks and saves in Luke 19 and verse 10, that which was lost. And many can be lost in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, if our gospel be hid. It can be hid to them that are lost. We can function lost. We can be lost about who we're with because we forget him. We forget him. And in place of that is a good time <laughs> or something that, that meets the thoughts that we have that aren't his and meets those emotional, those emotional impulses that we think are fulfilling to us. Let's, Let's do this. This would be good to do. Yes. And let's do it with these people. We think this would be good to do. Is it from God? And if it is, thank God, if it is. And he will let that know to each of us in a way that only he can. And in, when he lets us know whether it is or not, it's never with condemnation ever or accusation. Never. It's always with loving conviction and correction. And so Peter is a soul that's brought into the presence of God and at once, he's drawn and searched out by the light of that presence. You know, many don't want to come. Many don't want to come. Take, there's times in our life, you know, when we're too busy and we can't take in as much of the word. Then there's times when there's not. What should we do with that time? That becomes an opportunity to hear the word even more before we become busy. It becomes a great opportunity. So what will I do? What will I do? Will I redeem the time in Ephesians 5 and verse 16? You know, redeeming the time starts in ourself. Redeem the time. How do we do that? We put him first. We put his word first before our schedule. Before our schedule, he writes out the planner for the day. We don't. And that's what Psalm 46 and verse 5, I believe it's there, or 3, right in there. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I'm going to write and confess everything about him first. And that's what's going to cause me to make my plan. Because he's the planner. He has a plan for us. Do we have one without him? We do. But something that's not of him. It's something that's not of him. So Peter's he's brought into the presence. A lot don't want to be brought into his presence. Why? Because the light will come on. And men, unfortunately, and in, in, in John 3 and verse uh, 18, 19, 20, and 21, many don't come to the light because they love darkness. They love darkness. If we go to be with those that we believe that God sent us to them, then if we don't have the light that shines without condemnation or accusation on their darkness, we put our stamp on their darkness. That's what we do. Exactly what we do. That's why we need a local assembly. That's why the plans that we make and the things that we do always have to do with a local assembly. We do not fly off and go on our own. Can't get that one straight enough. Cannot. We think we can do it on our own. Meaning for any of us, for any of us, we think we, think we have got enough from the shepherd that we can go after sheep when we still constantly need a shepherd. Constantly. Because we know the four things that a sheep cannot do. Can't feed itself. 
you need a shepherd. You cannot do it. You may be full that day, okay? But soon, but soon, if you don't have a shepherd and you're not fed, you're going to suffer hunger. You're going to suffer hunger. And then if we don't seek him, then we'll feed. We'll begin to feed on the world and we'll get with others that feed on the world instead of being a convicting light to them. And that convicting light is never with condemnation or accusation. Never, never is, you see. And so here, as we bring this to to a close this morning, we see here that he searched out. But it is this sense, and this is the sense. There's no sense. Nothing makes sense without God's presence. Let's make that. He wants to make that clear to me and to all of us together. Nothing makes sense without God's presence. And if we're sent to people, it's with God's presence. And if it isn't, boy, oh boy, not good. Not good. You call it a good time all you want. Okay, it's not good. It doesn't profit. There's no profit involved in, in that at all. It's not. I say, again, here it is. We have to have, it is in this sense of divine presence. And it's revealed by this miracle. And boy, we have some miracles, don't we? That has gone through and pierced through Peter and brought him to, to what? To the consciousness of his condition. Now, God brings us, and he wants, through the word, he wants to bring us to the consciousness of our position experientially. He wants to, he's going to show us areas in his love without accusation or condemnation where we function freely, where we don't need him and without him. So many, so many. That's why so many think they don't need a local assembly. I, I, I Listen, everything in that local assembly, that was their life. They didn't go out and do a thing without the local assembly involved. Did you know? That's how it worked. Read, read Acts. Read the epistles. They didn't do a thing. They did not have their private plans. Come together two or three times a week. Then we say goodbye, and then we go, and we all do our own plan. Never that way in the Bible. It's never that way. There's no protection in that. There's no protection. And that speaks up for any of us, for all of us. We all need a shepherd. And we all need a shepherd. Even the under-shepherds, the pastor teachers, they need a shepherd. But then through that, the under-shepherd is dispersed, the very person and work and life of Jesus Christ for those that are his in connection with that local assembly to experience the life flow of that love life flows in them. And so what does it do? This, this consciousness, it's to bring him to his condition. And God is showing us, he shows us two things. And this is why I love this. You see, when the Holy Spirit is the scholar and the theologian, Again, here's that word theologian, something that man should never take to himself as a title because theo or theo is God, logian or logian is word, <laughs> the God word. That's Christ and the Holy Spirit has to take him and, and reveal the reality, just like everything. And this goes into us even being sent. Why am I with this person? Was I sent? If not, then who should we be with? It's called the body of Christ. That's who we should be with. Those are the plans that we should make. Like in this area, 
that we make these plans, but we do them together. We do them together. We don't go off and do things separately on our own. This one doing that, this one doing this thing. Then we come together and we have the word. <laughs> don't see it. Don't see it in all the scriptures. Don't see it, you see. But when, when God comes in and reveals, when he seeks those and causes them to be a seeker in his presence, and in his presence, in his presence, and in his presence, what is there? In Psalm 1611, what is in his presence? It's fullness of joy. What does that mean? That even when he teaches me and shows me and convicts me of areas of my life that don't have anything to do with him, he's never condemning me or accusing me. He's lovingly convincing me or correcting me with his love. Always. He always does that. It's the way he does it. And that causes us now to cleave to him instead of cleaving to other things. We cleave to him. We do. And he cleaves to us. And even, even, even when he says, depart from me. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. When we fail, he doesn't want us to run to him. Nope. Nope. He's going to convince us that we're not worthy. He's going to convince us that we're not worthy and that we have to do certain things to make ourselves right, to be equal again, once again, to function in his presence. We see that in Luke 15, 11 to 32, the prodigal. He was mixing his thoughts with the father's thoughts. Whose thoughts were right? And what was the result of the father's thoughts? You see, he left the house. He left the house. Listen, he left the place of protection. Listen, the place of protection for us is the local assembly today. But like the prodigal, many leave the house. They take their riches, what they've been given with the word in the local assembly, and then they go out where they sent. Did the father ever send the son? Did he ever do that? Did the shepherd ever send him? No. Where did he end up in? Before he ended up in rags, he went with his so-called friends. Do you have friends? Do we have friends that, that, are, that are unsaved? That live, like the, that live in the world, live like the world? And when we get with them, is the light there? Again, this is not condemnation or accusation. This is God loving and correcting us and protecting us and protecting them from us not saying anything or convicting them in any way. See, because if God does send us with others, to others, he will, honestly, he will lovingly convict them. He always, in Exodus 11, verse 7, he always puts a difference between Egypt, world system, people living in the world, and Israel, his chosen people. There's always a difference. Do they see the difference? Do they see the difference? The prodigal went out of the house and he went with his friends. But when he had spent it all, when there was nothing left for them, for them to give him and uh, to those friends and for those friends to receive, they were done with them. They were done with him. And then he ended up in his rags. And you know, the rags there, self-righteousness, that's what it brings out in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. When we think we can do things without him, go to places without him, without being sent, what do we end up with? We end up in rags. There are those that God will have us to be with. There they are. There are. And he will give us 
the very, very wisdom in how to deal with them. And but in that wisdom, without us condemning or accusing them, they will see the difference, but they won't experience an ounce of condemnation or accusation. Then it is good to be with them because the whole purpose for us is to be a catcher of men. Matthew 4 and verse 19, Mark 1 and verse 17, you'll be fishers of men. We're not fishing for a good time. We're not fishing. We're not being with people to fish a good time with them. We're not. We have a local assembly, and we don't go out. Father never sent the son. He had a free volition to do whatever he wanted to do, but what was the result of it? Did, he, did it do him any good? And those that he was with, the so-called friends, did it do them any good? This is what makes it so very, very necessary. Very necessary. The place of protection for us, like the prodigal's house, the father's presence, is the local assembly right now. That is it. That's where we develop plans together and be joints that supply. That's what we do. And that's why it's based upon the scriptures. So, so Christ searches. He searches the hearts. He never, with his grace, ever leaves us in doubt of his love. When we, when we seek him who first seeks us, and this is 1 John 4, verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved him, not that we sought him, but that he loved us and sought us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Now we love in 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. And that's the thing that we can leave so easily. We can leave our first love in Romans 2, uh, Revelations 2 and verse 4. Then other authorities come in. <laughs> oh boy. And we need to be so very careful, very, very careful this morning. But as we close, and I'm going to get into this tomorrow, and tomorrow is Labor Day, yes, and we will have the word tomorrow. So again, whosoever has the time and, 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 and wants to listen can do so and take advantage of it. And so, but we're going to go into uh, tomorrow in Isaiah 53. And, and what that means to us as we glean from it, Isaiah 53, and how that works with those two chapters that we read in Luke, the fourth chapter, in the fifth chapter. Listen, again, again, just want to state it clearly. God loves us deeply and wants to protect us. And I am saying, again, a place of protection for all of us, for all of us, is the local assembly the local assembly. That expression of Christ, the fullness of him in that particular location, the fullness of it is that expression. And then we become joints that supply. We become the joints that supply to each other. So we take this supply and then when we're sent or if it's at work and God uses us there, incredible, incredible. But if he sends us, then there will always be this light in us, a convicting, loving light without any condemnation or any accusation, none whatsoever. Like the word that he's given us this morning is protection. It's not an ounce of condemnation or accusation. And he, he says to all of us, 
as he, he does and as he says and as he deals with me personally every single morning right here. Every single morning. Draw near to me. Draw near to me because I'm seeking you. And then my seeking you will be the cause of you seeking me. My love for you will be the cause of you loving me. Draw near, he says to me every morning. Ed, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Now, in these areas, you need to cleanse your hands. You're doing something you don't belong doing, Ed. You hear me? Yes, yes, Lord. Okay. And then, when that is dealt with, in 1 John 1, 9, you confess this and experience cleansing, okay? then he does what? Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and then you what? He purifies your minds from being double-minded. Is God, does God consider us our enemy? Does he hate us? <laughs> he loves us deeply. He loves us. And he has this intense desire of the intimacy of his love for you and I to experience it. And to experience it, we see in Isaiah 53, 1 to 12, and brought out in the later chapters of Jesus fulfilling every one of this. And we saw it in, in, in Luke, the fourth chapter, in those first 18 verses. We saw how he fulfilled it. He was right there fulfilling that word in their ears. And in our ears, his love has fulfilled everything about us. And he's correcting us, not in accusation, not in condemnation, not in fierce wrath and anger, but a deep convicting love that desires intimacy with us so that nothing disturbs or distracts us from being protected by that love. Again, I do believe that God has people to minister to others. I do believe that. I believe it with all my heart. I, I believe that about our local assembly here. I, I believe that about each individual without any question about it. I do. It's just that in this, God just wants to completely protect us. And he is doing a great work here. We do, we do know that. We do realize it. And faithful is he who what? Who calls us who will what? He will also do it. And he's doing it. And Father, we thank you for your so great love, the intensity of your so great love. Thank you for the faithfulness of the members here in our local assembly. I, I am thankful that for their faithfulness to you and in their faithfulness to you, they're a joint that constantly supplies for me. They constantly supply. And I, I thank you. And it's the best in my ability with a submitted will to feed the church here. And, and to do the very best that I can. And I thank you for those that return that. They, they return it uh, with, with their help and their material goods and the things that they help me with. And it's beautiful to see it in operation. I thank you for the faithfulness of each one here and for your love that so deeply desires to protect us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.